Hello and welcome to Beyond the Page, a Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today I have a very special guest. I'm speaking with Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, in 1967, Johnny was in an accident that left her quadriplegic. And in the years since, she has become this incredible uh, force for disability advocacy, uh, founding her organization, Johnny and Friends, I think 1979. I hope I'm getting all these dates correct. Uh, she published her autobiography, Johnny in 1976 that really put her into the limelight and it's that book that we're here to talk about although we'll get on some of those other topics as well johnny thank you so much for being on the program oh josh good to be with you and of course all of our subscribers thanks for tuning in and i i trust our time together will be rewarding and yes. uh, enriching to those who listen yes i'm very excited for it uh it has been 45 years since you published johnny uh, that is, that's a long time. What, does it still surprise you that your book is still in demand and your story is still wanted today? Absolutely, Josh. I mean, uh, 45 years, it, it, you would think that, that no one would know about this book anymore. But I, 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 I think part of the reason uh, people are still reading the Johnny book is because it is, I guess, a classic. It, it is a story that is common to us all. Mm -hmm. And readers can flip through these pages and they can grasp for themselves how a person who goes through a traumatic injury that is life altering and is steeped in depression, how that person um, can find the word of God to be its rescue, her rescue. And, and um, so I, I think that the pages of the Johnny book are are filled with insights that apply to every reader, no matter what their hardship or what their limitation. So I'm, I'm just happy that the 45th anniversary edition has been out. It's being released and uh, people are reading it. Oh my goodness. That to me is such a surprise and a delight. Yeah, this was, this was the first time here's a, by the way, for those of you who are watching on video, here's a copy of the 45th anniversary edition. And that's you right there on the cover. I think this was part of the cover of the of the first edition as well. It, similar to yep, it, it is. And I think I was about 24 when that photo was taken. And I won't even tell you how old I am now. But uh, what? I've been in my wheelchair 55 years. I injured myself at the age of 17. So you can do the math. And I'm no young person anymore. <laughs> but I'm still learning, still growing, and still grateful that um, God is using that book. Yeah, this was a book that I can remember taking from my church library as a kid and reading your story for the first time. And wow. my my wife says that she still has sections of the book memorized because she read it so often as a child. And she actually, she's an occupational therapist to this day, and she was introduced to what occupational therapy was through your book. So uh, you've had an influence on, on our life just because of that. Um, one of the things that really, I think it, it's captured me, it's captured millions of people, is how authentic and honest this story is. You really, you speak very openly about the struggle that it was that, you know, you, you've kind of gotten to a point where um, you, you talk about suffering and, and God's glory, but those early days, those early days were really hard for you. How important was it for you that people understood the realities of your struggle? Well, uh, let me correct something that you just mm. said. It, it, it's still hard. Yeah. 
it is still very hard. In fact, the older I get, uh, it gets harder. I deal with chronic pain. And so um, I look back on that book, Josh, and I'm just so grateful that the insights I shared from the word of God mm. still apply. Um, I still wake up in the morning, even after so many decades of paralysis, I still wake up in the morning saying, Jesus, I need you desperately. I cannot do quadriplegia today. I am so tired of the pain and the challenges, but I can do all things through you, Jesus, if you would but strengthen me. Now, that's a principle that everybody can grasp. And that's why I felt it would be important to, you know, when I wrote the book, Johnny, um, with my co-author, Joe Messer, um, I thought it would be very important to be as honest and visceral and gutsy and open and transparent as I possibly could be, because not everybody's a quadriplegic. And I knew that the average reader uh, probably wouldn't even have a disability, but handicaps come at us in all shapes and sizes. And so I just wanted to focus on the word of God in that book so that the reader dealing with whatever his challenge might be would grasp those biblical anchors and just run with them. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I'm, I think it might still be, uh, you know, it still might be a, a book that people want to read mm -hmm. because those biblical insights indeed are timeless. Mm -hmm. uh, those anchors are applicable even to me, the author. So many decades later, uh, I'm still waking up in the morning needing Christ desperately. And shouldn't we all be in that position, right? Yeah. Just needing Jesus. Yeah. So obviously, over the course of 45 years, you've grown in your faith. Uh, you, have, you have sort of grown in your experience, obviously, with quadriplegia. Uh, when, when I think about things that I wrote about my life, that happened five years ago. I look back on it and I'm like, I wouldn't, I, I you know, I, rem I, I remember it differently. I have a different perspective on it. You're going back to a book you wrote 45 years ago. How much of that do you think, oh, I, I would really do that differently today? Oh, let's see. I don't know if I'd share too many different things in that book, although there were way too many boyfriends, way too many boyfriends back then. I, I, if I had a chance to get out my editing pen, I'd probably rip out half those chapters about the third boyfriend. It was just like too much. All right, all right, already. Uh, so I wish I could have done that, but I, I, I wouldn't change anything about the, the insights from the word of God. If anything, I just would expand on them because as you said, Josh, I've grown. I've uh, learned more about the word of God. And I've needed to, because as I said a moment ago, it's harder. Mm -hmm. And so Bible promises mean even more to me now than they did way back when. And they, they meant a lot to me back then. So now, oh my goodness, they are, as Jesus says in what, John chapter six, he said, my, my life is, is, you know, flesh and blood, you I can't, I can't remember how he says it. He says, my, um, oh, I don't have it in front of me. He's, Look up, you have a Bible, John, John 6, 54 to 56. John Look that 6, up. 54 to 56. I wish I, 
I know in general what you're trying to say, but I'm kind of in the same spot. My flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. There you go. Mm -hmm. And and Jesus talks about how uh, this means abiding in him. Uh, I think that's in John 656 that he says that this this is what it means to abide in me. Um, You need you need to need me this desperately. Mm -hmm. You need to wake up in the morning and let me be your food and drink your life and blood. Uh, And uh, that's the way I live now. Yeah. Because I deal with chronic pain uh, and I didn't have chronic pain when I was first injured uh, when I wrote the Johnny book, but now I do have it. And it, it makes my quadriplegia feel like a walk in the park. So now with pain, I've got to hold on to those uh, firm biblical anchors all the more desperately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so the Bible promises mean, mean so much more to me now. Oh my goodness. I, they really are my flesh and blood, my drink, my meat. They, Bible promises are what I thrive on. When I start to go south emotionally, when I become overly discouraged, I will quick run to some Bible promise. Like, um, I don't know, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Though we are hard-pressed on all sides, we are not crushed. It's good to know that this chronic pain will not crush me, God. Although it hard-presses me on all sides, it will not crush me because you are my rock and my fortress. You are my hope and my salvation. So we I talk to God when I'm in chronic pain. I quote his own language back to him. And it's a way of reminding my soul of things that I know to be true. But sometimes when my emotions are dark, I have a hard time seeing through the fog. So um, Bible promises mean even more to me now than they did even 45 years ago. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You, you referenced that, that passage in John 6. And I think that's the point where after Jesus says this, a lot of the crowds that have been following him leave. So this is that for you, when you hear that, that's the point where you draw closer to God. But for a lot of people, that's the point where they're like, that's, that's too much. Oh, then I'm going to walk away. Uh, what, wh- why do you think it's that your reaction is different from the crowd's reaction in the days of Jesus? I think the crowd feels life should be easy. If you're a Christian, I think a lot of believers feel that once you come to Christ, I don't know, shouldn't he be up there to make my life happy and healthy and free of trouble? But of course, as we know from the book of Job, our life is full of trouble, full of it. I mean, God has hardwired this world to be extremely difficult. And I think the secret uh, to understanding that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where the apostle Paul has had a rough time in the province of Asia. And he says to the church of Corinth, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, mothers, about what we endured in Asia. We were, we were in over our heads. We were facing uh, hardships far beyond our ability to endure. We even despaired of our own lives. In other words, I'd rather be dead than go through this. You know, that, that's how hard life can get sometimes. And then he says in the ninth verse, But these things happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So I think a lot of Christians, a lot of people, we feel, I don't want my life to be that hard. I don't want to be in a live in pain. I I don't want to have it so filled with trouble. 
But these things happen that we might not rely on ourselves, God says, but be driven to him by the overwhelming conviction that we just ain't got nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. He, he's our hope. He's our meat. He's our drink. He's our life and blood. He's, he's everything to us. And uh, I don't know that we'd have that perspective on him, that sense of intimacy with him, were it not for affliction that pushes us into the arms of our Savior, or otherwise we might not be inclined to go. That's a really good answer. Obviously, you, you've lived with this for, for decades. What, have you ever imagined what you, think, what you thought your life would be different if your injury had not happened? I might be on my second divorce. I don't know what I'd be doing. I certainly wouldn't be sitting here, Josh, talking to you about biblical anchors and the promises of God and the, and the uh, hope in his word. I really don't think I would be. I mean, I broke my neck in 1967. That was the year I was, the summer I was heading off to college. I was ashamed to admit this, but I was sleeping with my boyfriend in high school. I was you know, living a life of sexual impurity and immorality, and I knew it was going to get worse in college. It wasn't going to get better. And I remember praying a prayer, and I think it was like April or May of 1967. I had come home from a sordid date with my boyfriend, and I felt so guilty. And I remember throwing myself on my bed and crying into my pillow saying, oh, God, I can't break free. I have made myself a slave to sin, and I don't know how to get free of it. So do something in my life to jerk it right side up because I'm, I'm going to really mess up big time in college. I might even recant the faith because I don't want to be a hypocrite and I don't want to shame you any further. And I, I just don't want to live like this. So do something, Jesus. And then I broke my neck. And I look back on that and uh, what a strange answer to prayer. But it really was an answer to prayer. Honestly, Josh, there are nights I lie in bed even now. What, 55 years it's been since my diving accident. And I, I just say, oh, God, thank you. You were so wise. You were so good in allowing me to break my neck. Because I don't, I don't know where I'd be had you not rescued me. I am, I was my own worst enemy. And, and, and you rescued me from myself. Thank you. Keep doing it, Jesus. So, you know, that's kind of how, uh, that's kind of why I feel most Christians aren't, you know, they struggle with, uh, with hardship. They just don't see how God could possibly use it for good. Mm-hmm. Yet the promise is right there in Romans eight twenty eight, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And we have all this imagery of, you know, it's the refiner's fire, the fire burns, but it brings all the takes all the impurities out and leaves us pure mm-hmm. um as you healed one of the things that really became a cathartic experience for you was art and that's something that's remained a part of your life to this day uh, talk to me a little bit about how painting makes you feel oh i wish i could put something up in front of the camera to show your viewers what i draw i have anything around here let me know what i've got around here that i could show I could show people what I draw. Well, I don't think I have anything. Is that okay? There's something over on the wall there, but it's way too big. Yeah, it's way, way too big. I don't think I can put that in front of the camera. That's not mine, unfortunately. That's a watercolor a friend did. 
that's telling my girlfriend to go hunt around the house to find <laughs> something find to show something. your viewers. Um, what can I say? Art, uh, art for me has always been uh, a wonderful release. You got to understand, you know, my hands don't work. You know, they 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 don't work. So I can't hold brushes and pencils and charcoal pieces. I can't do that, but I. I can paint with my mouth. And although mouths were never intended to hold brushes, and I'll never be able to execute with a brush as I would with my hand, um, boy, it's, it's so wonderful, Josh, to be able to sit in front of an easel. Okay, you know what? Get on my iPhone and let's show Josh and his viewers that thing I just did. Okay, here's something cool. This is something you just did. Yeah, something yeah. I just did. Um, you got to understand that I haven't picked up a brush in a long, long time because I deal with chronic pain. But I was up at one of our retreats. We hold retreats for special needs families. And they had a painting class for all the special needs moms. And I was just going to wheel around and cheer on everybody else and encourage them. And, oh, you're doing a good job. But I thought, I'm going to give it a try. And so I did this in about 30 minutes. Hold this up here. Tilt it. Oh, you can't quite see it. Uh, hold it oh, that sideways toward the window toward the there, no, there other way there you go well yeah. can you see it that, that's pretty good yeah yeah oh yeah. there you go you see the clouds and the landscape yeah, and beautiful. the well i it's there was about an eight by ten canvas you can't mm -hmm. quite see it i had such fun okay all you podcast listeners they're gonna have to go check out josh's video to see that <laughs> gotta look at the video in order to see the painting i just mm -hmm. josh i had such fun that what I did, I came home and I went on Amazon.com and I just purchased myself a whole new set of acrylic paints and uh, gesso paint and canvases. And I don't know when I'm going to ever find time to do it, but I, I just am going to get back at my easel because I just had way too much fun with my painting. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. That's great. In 1979, so this is after, uh, after the book, uh, you founded Johnny and Friends with the idea that you would serve individuals and families affected by disability. And we've already, we just talked about some of the things that you have been doing. So it's been 40 years in that ministry. How, how have we come as a society from 1979 until now? Where have we improved? Where can we do better in inclusion, education, advocacy, and making sure that, that, people with disabilities feel not just feel but are a part of society well i think uh and if a lot of your listeners are living in the united kingdom uh your nation has done a lot there have been great strides forward in um creating access for people with disabilities in programs and facilities and and uh, kudos on the uk and your parliament for you know pushing those initiatives through but I don't know if we've made much improvement either in America or in the UK or elsewhere in heart attitudes. Mm -hmm. I remember when I served on the National Council on Disability real quickly, it was our council back in the late 80s that drafted the first Americans with Disabilities Act. And I will never forget our council sitting on the South Lawn of the White House when President Bush signed the ADA into law and we went back to the hotel to have a reception and our executive director uh, had a glass of champagne 
and he started to make a toast. He said, this law is great in that it has removed discriminatory policies so that now more qualified people with disabilities can find jobs. And this law is great in that more restaurants have ramps. This law is great in that one day buses all across America will have mechanical lifts. And then he stopped and said, but this law will not change the heart of the employer or the heart of the maitre d' at the restaurant. This law will not change the heart of the bus driver. And then he raised his glass and said, here's to changed hearts. And that's what the gospel does. Mm -hmm. We have the message that can change people's hearts because laws and initiatives, inclusion and mainstreaming will go far, but it will not change people's attitudes, heart attitudes toward those with disabilities. Mm -hmm. That's why Jesus says in Luke 14, go out and find the disabled. Just don't wait for them to come to you. You go out and find them, be proactive. Find the poor, the disabled, the lame, the blind, bring them in. And then he says this, do it and you will be blessed. And you're blessed because it's always more blessed to give than to receive. Mm -hmm. And so um, God knows that when we hang out with people with handicapping conditions, it's going to be a blessing to us. You know, we're, we're going to be blessed in a big way. So that's what we do at our ministry at Johnny and Friends. We create a context a framework in which uh, the church can be blessed in embracing people with disabilities. I feel like in churches in particular, because you mentioned the ADA, uh, notably re religious establishments are excluded from legally yeah. needing to comply with the ADA. Uh, I recently read a study where a majority of pastors said they didn't think they had anyone who was disabled in their congregation which is either a problem because disabled people are not being seen or because they are being excluded. And, and so either, either direction is a problem. Um, disabled people have encountered these very significant barriers in the church. I know a lot of pastors that want to do better. They do not know where to start. What can we do to begin? Well, that's a good question. And I think first, just look around in your own parish neighborhood, your own church neighborhood. Surely there is someone on your cul-de-sac, a special needs mother who has a child with a disability. Just do a survey of your own congregation, no matter how small it is. Surely you've got a niece or a nephew, a grandchild with Down syndrome or a little boy with autism, a niece, a nephew. I mean, people with disabilities are there. They're often their families are often so overwhelmed and tired, weary and burdened that they don't have the energy, the, the emotional wherewithal to get up on a Sunday morning and go to church. That's why Jesus says, go out and find them. They're not going to come to you. You got to go out and find them. That word being proactive is so key as it concerns people with disabilities. Because in Luke 14, Jesus is pretty much saying of all the folks you might overlook, and then, you know, inviting to your church, don't overlook the disabled. Pull up the 10 pegs in your thinking. Move away from your rich friends, relatives, and neighbors, Jesus says, because they're the ones that's easy to connect with. It's easy to invite your rich friends, relatives, and neighbors. But he says, no, go beyond that. Pull up the 10 pegs in your sphere of influence and go out. Find the people. 
and bring them in. Mm -hmm. So we're without excuse, aren't we? Jesus doesn't leave us with much of an excuse uh, in Luke 14. We got to go out and find these people because they're there, as you just said, Josh. Those families are there. One, one of the problems that I have seen all too often in, in the church is the experience of, of well-meaning Christians. They really do mean well, um, and but they want to pray over disabled people for healing. I actually, I just recently finished a book uh, by uh, Amy Kenny, uh, who is a, a disability scholar here in the UK. Her book is called My Body is Not a Prayer Request. <laughs> I love that title. It's a, it's a beautiful book. I'm sorry to promote another book on, on your podcast, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. But she, she actually writes that in her experience, some of the most harmful ableism that she's experienced has come from within the church. Is that something that you've experienced and what has been your response to it? Yep, yep. And for your, for your listeners and viewers, ableism is a kind of discrimination against people with disabilities. I don't know if all your, your uh, subscribers will understand that term. Uh, you know, what Amy was experiencing and what I have often experienced is the same theology that, that made the three friends of Job say what they said, that something must be wrong with you. Um, let's fix it. You, know, you need to be fixed and you need to confess your sins and you don't have enough faith I mean, Job's friends were telling him that thousands of years ago, and not much has changed in their theology. There are still people today in the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that say, you shouldn't be in a wheelchair. You shouldn't have cerebral palsy. God can open the eyes of your, uh, of your open your blind eyes. I mean, and I think it's because we don't have a context for suffering. The church today thinks that suffering is, is not part of God's plan. This should not be. By his stripes, we're supposed to be healed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he healed back then, he should heal now. I mean, they take these scriptures and they twist them to mean something that fits that health, wealth way of looking at life. And so I'm with Amy. There is a reason that God permits suffering. And excuse me, I will go so far as to say ordains, purposes, um, plans, our suffering. I mean, my own suffering wasn't an accident. It was indeed part of God's foreordained plan. And there are rich, wonderful, good things that have come out of it. You know, when, um, when Jesus uh, talked about this, he said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. In other words, there were people who came to him to get their withered hands healed. But Jesus says, look, I've got a bigger priority besides healing your withered hand. If that hand causes you to sin, I wouldn't even heal it. I'd cut it off. You know, I mean, it, sure, he opened the eyes of the blind. But he also said, if that eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. I mean, obviously, that shows Christ's priority. He has spiritual priorities. He's less concerned about our physical comforts and abilities and more concerned about the state of our souls. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know our time is, is wrapping up. I want to end with just one question. Uh, this book has been 45 years out there. What do you hope above all that people take away from your story? 
Well, I wrote a mission statement for my life shortly after that book was published. I don't know, maybe I maybe I wrote it when it was published and I wrote about it in the Johnny book. I don't know. But it's been more than 45 years and I would never change a single word in this mission statement. I wrote a mission statement for my life and it says, I want to be God's best audiovisual aid of how his power shows up best and weakness. That's what I hope readers take away from the 45th anniversary edition of the Johnny book. Yeah. That that they will see the story of a of a girl, young girl back then, who became God's audiovisual aid of how his power can show up best in weakness. And I want readers to look at their own weaknesses and not be ashamed of them, not try to pray them away, um, not to uh, despise them or become bitter about them. I want God, our, our, our readers to take them, take those weaknesses to the Lord and let him display his power and grace and mercy and beauty and courage and perseverance through those weaknesses because uh, that will showcase his glory like nothing else. Yeah. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on the podcast. It's a lovely conversation and your life, your ministry, everything that your ministry has done and is doing is such a blessing to so many people. So thank you for everything that you do. Josh, you're the best. And I'm so grateful for our listeners over in the UK. I, I, uh, I'm grateful for our time together.